0: two seconds once the end sure. hey. good to go uh welcome back to the collective we got a awesome show for you guys today we're gonna dive right directly unless uh mm-hmm. paulo sean you got any thoughts any questions anything off the top of your head that is uh, no partner?
1: i just i just topped off of a insta fast live chat for me anyway over on my ig page it was less than five minutes which is oh, wow that's super i weird. mean come on that was too fast uh but uh really all i did was i headed over there just to say oh look at what i'm gonna be talking about with someone today is that a knife it is a knife is that the old school san my style matt cold steel oh, master show how long have you had that sean a freaking long time are you into knives sean Yes, I am Sean. And so Perhaps. Sean is is a happy Sean. <laughs> Look at you go! <laughs> I love it. I love that. So it. so I just I just got back just to say I'm kind. I'm not giddy. I don't get giddy. He's and I'm totally kind giddy. of giddy because totally we're talking giddy. knives.
0: Oh yeah, totally giddy, hundred percent. Okay, well let's um let's talk knives. I guess this is uh, so one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you first off, Paulo, was the fact that you you think deeply into not only the art itself but how those things happen like how when you break down a move you're like why does this happen and why does that happen and why does this happen and you start to pressure test them and see how they work and i just love the fact that it's it's about depth so first off Why? Where did you get into knives? Why did you get into knives? What was the the thing in the back (laughs) of your head that was like, oh yeah? Well, I was born
2: with a penis. It started with that, and so that's that's it. I mean, every every guy like I I I was born in the Philippines, man. Yeah, Uh, I was nine years old when I came to Canada. So shout out to Canada. Super grateful as an immigrant to this country and for the people. You and me uh, both. Yeah, man, it's it's an amazing, amazing country. I owe everything to it. But the first first nine years of my life was in the Philippines, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I had a proper childhood. Um, I was out, I was playing. I love knives. I love guns. I love fighting. So that's how I got into knives. And then, you know, downstream working in the you know social media space, it kind of dragged I got dragged into the tactical community. That's a separate story, which is a pretty cool story. Um, but yeah, I, I because I was nine years old when I came to Canada, I was the only Rubio male other than my dad. It gave me this perspective of I was connected to my culture and all of the traditions that came with that. But then I was also isolated. So I grew up having to find my own truth and not necessarily subscribe to dogma and tradition. And that when I discovered the Filipino martial arts and the knife world in general, it was full of that. Yeah. Um, it was full of that. And so I just stayed true to who I was and I questioned absolutely everything. Um, and there was one video, there's a series, there was like, it was about a week where I kept pushing this idea towards the Filipino martial arts community And it was, you are not my elder because people were trying to push their authority onto me. Like people from different systems, grandmasters were like, you should do this. And I'm like, no, you're not my elder. I can respect you because you're older, but you're not my elder. Don't impose your authority on me.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, What what time did you uh, kind of start feeling that? What what do you mean? Sorry. How old would you have been when you started feeling that uh, you're not my elder? I'm doing oh. my thing and I'm trying to figure it out.
2: It it, it happened when okay I'll t- I was 9 when I came to Canada, right? So my mm-hmm. father was was a super cool guy and but then he passed away when I was 19. So mm-hmm. between in that 10-year period, I was caught between these two cultures and then when my father passed okay, away, check, I, check. Was, I was the man right from the Rubio clan trying mm-hmm. to make a name for himself in this country. And so, yeah, it was. That's when it started. But when it when it came to the Filipino martial arts, uh, and and exploring knife, um, I, I haven't been doing it that long. By the way, I mean, I started when I was how long? Uh, probably. So there was a whole part of my journey where I was a hypothetical warrior. I was like, I was just a student. I didn't practice. I just digested information mm-hmm. as a content. And then it was in 2018 where I was in the Philippines documenting uh, this training conference for knife and stick. And at the end of it was like a full contact stick fighting match. And I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna go. So I jumped in, got my ass kicked, but then I hit a world champion several times. So I was like, hey, I'm I'm gonna, you know, and it was documented, it was filmed. So I was like, I'm gonna just reverse engineer where I was shit and I'm going to try not to be shit at those things and that defined the totality of my knife experiences I I compete even though there's artificialities right like people always want to be they want every drill to be everything and every format to solve every problem you know Um, (laughs) oh you're wearing a mask Uh, that's not real because if I hit you with my sword I'm like fuck I get it man I'm working on my timing
0: yeah. We, yeah. uh, we do need to watch the language though. So just so you're oh, aware.
1: Just, just, in, just in case you want any kids to watch. Yeah. All. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry. It's all
0: sorry. good. <laughs> um, so the, the question I have for you though, which is what I love and what, I, what one of the things I want to talk about specifically is playing for yourself, not playing with yourself. Cause that's a whole different story. Right. But <laughs> playing for yourself, which is like, what I'm hearing at least is that you're in, in the, journey in the battles you're starting to realize that what you have to offer is something to offer and then you start working for yourself and you start working how does this work for me how do i how do i apply this in my language to this thing is it uh did you get a lot of push i mean there's some pushback obviously because haters are haters but did you get a lot of pushback right off the bat
2: yeah there was there um... There was a lot of pushback right off the bat and yeah. and and really strong pushback because i was getting involved in a culture where you trusted your grandmaster and their stories of hey try this disarm because my grandmaster did it and pier in the philippines in the 70s um and so it, that just didn't work for me. I think so much of, of knife work is personal and if and if you can't uh, I'm, I'm beginning my journey into teaching this and I'm beginning to really appreciate a lot of the concessions and the compromises that instructors have had to make mm-hmm. uh, in teaching a group. but I want to stay true to playing for yourself. In, in, in the first lesson, I dumped a box full of training knives and I got these 10 students. And the first thing I said was, hey, there's maybe 50 training knives in here, all with different characteristics. I just want you to play with them and find one that speaks to your soul. And then that's the knife that we're going to train with. And that's wicked. immediately they take ownership and accountability for their progress. They don't see me as somebody who tells them what to do, rather someone who guides them through this process. Mm -hmm. Uh, discovering who they are in the art and what their intentions are. Some, somebody wants, may want the art form. Somebody may want exercise. Um, Others may want practicality and, you know, defensive capabilities. Somebody might want to just express themselves through something pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And so I have to serve that. And I think that there is a, there's a, there's a common bond. There's a thread, that can bind a bunch of individuals towards a common goal, or at least a similar process. And that's very difficult to do when you, when you have to adhere to like a standardized program where even the, the overachieving student needs to learn at the pace of the lowest common denominator. I just don't, I don't like that. So it needs to be personal, man. It absolutely needs to be
0: personal. I really love that. Sean, you got any thoughts on playing for yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about what you're um, referencing on the personal journey and kind of when you started, Uh, maybe not like taking it serious. I don't want to say that, but when you maybe elevated your game into, oh, I'm all in on this right now. And so, excuse me. I don't know if I've ever gone uh, full hardcore on the knife. I've always been kind of hardcore. So I never, dedicated, I never dedicated my life to the knife, like mm-hmm. solely, but I've dedicated my life to the knife as other things have been dedicated to my life as a warrior. And so the knife has always been important to me, but uh, I didn't really understand the Well, let me back up. I had a buck hunting knife, B-U-C-K. I think everyone in Canada is generally familiar with it. But the buck hunting knife I had in my hand when I was like, I don't know, 11, 12 years old. And uh, that was from hunting and fishing and being out in the mountains of Alberta as I was growing up when we moved over from uh, England. And so I was really, really, really comfortable with a knife before I got into the military. But then the military started teaching me how to do we'll call it rudimentary knife fighting. And I thought knife fighting at that point was, you know, uh, that standard issue right out of the, uh, mid forties, uh, old school world war II, uh, overly exaggerated stances and overly exaggerated attacks that everything slowed down and extremely readable and, and almost like cartoonish. And then, um, I got introduced to a guy, uh, I was about to teach an Unarmed Combat Instructors course out and through PPCLI, and he was a civilian. And, uh, and he had another civilian friend uh, who did Kali. And this guy showed up, and he was my build, just a touch smaller. I'm about five nine one at the time I was about 155 pounds. And uh, this guy was just a touch smaller, and he was fast. Yeah. But I was fast. And, yeah. uh, and so we both went head to head on knife fighting. And I think nice. I was actually just a bit faster than he was. But nice. he had things that I didn't have. And that was called Kali. And I was like, what is even going on? What just happened to my wrist? <laughs> and so uh, through that one day, hanging out with him, his name was Steve. Uh, I got intro, I mean, introduced isn't even the right word. I barely got a a fast glimpse of Kali. And so um, I thought to myself, what is going on? Did that just happen? And I looked at the other civilian who uh, I ended up uh, not quite recruiting, but asking him to come and be a civilian instructor on a uh, military fighting course. Uh, I said, you know, how do I get better at this? And uh, he said, I got a tape for you. I brought it. And it's from a guy called Paul Vunak. Was okay. like, okay, Paul Paul Vunak, okay, sure, all right, Whoa. I'll check that Whoa. out. That was, I mean, that's old school, right? Paul Vunak, that's like almost a time machine. And uh, so I I started watching Paul Vunak, and I was like, oh, distance timing. I see what's going on here. Oh, now we're fighting tight. Oh, I see what's defang the snake. What the heck is defang the snake? <laughs> oh, hang on a sec. This is super cool. So through a VHS tape. I started studying Kali. So that was my first introduction to it. And by study, I mean like, you know, not, not training with anyone, training with myself in front of a mirror in order to yeah. get better at a knife style that I had no idea existed until I was handed a tape. And so that's how I got introduced to it. Over the years, I've been exposed to a bunch of guys who know how to fight knife. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's fantastic. But I wanted to hit you up with the introductory phase of I got introduced via VHS tape. How did you get introduced to it? I'm assuming it was through an organic three-dimensional individual called a human who was teaching you. Yes.
2: So how I actually, I've known about it, but my actual, I guess, first touch was, from this guy, Doug Markaida, who's a, a host mm-hmm. on
1: the, Doug, yeah. Uh, Forged yeah. Fire. I've seen you guys hanging out.
2: Yeah. Um, but his manifestation of the Filipino martial arts was very uh, sophisticated. It was elaborate. Um, and so I found it, even though I was documenting it and people were watching it, were loving it. I found it to be... I wasn't interested in it. I felt too far away it felt unattainable
1: yeah unapproachable Uh, Mm -hmm. right
2: Um, but i picked up a lot of things along the way that just registered in my brain brains are amazing things right and so like now in my evolution i'm like oh i remember doug doing that from you know seven years ago Um, but when i really started practicing was when i began working with a man named jared wehungi and Jared, uh, he's half Texan, half Maori.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting combination. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I just did the quick math on that, and I mentally went and grabbed a bigger knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: He's half Texan, half Maori, That's uh, and he's also a man of faith. And he went on a mission to the Philippines, and he stayed there for a couple of years. And he learned four languages in the Philippines and picked up the Filipino martial arts. He's a SWAT operator um, out of Salt Lake City, Utah. And when I met him, he had been traveling the world training, you know, uh, international special force units and reg force units in law enforcement and military, but no one had really ever heard of him. And he was just this silent professional. That um, because, you know, like, honestly, for Filipino martial artists, training veterans and and um, active military units, it's like our trophy wife, bro. Mm, It's like, (laughs) you train law enforcement. Yeah, I'm kind of a big deal. (laughs) I'm
1: I'm a pretty big deal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But but what, what ends up happening is, you know, people would exaggerate their resumes and say, yeah, I train law enforcement. I train military. Meanwhile, you train your buddy who's in the Marine Corps or like you train your friend, you know, who's in the department. But Jared gets called back and it's sanctioned by departments and and cities and um, countries even. And it was based on really there was an elaborate, artistic, sophisticated side of it, but it was delineated from what was practical. And what can be taught rapidly to a high degree of functional retainability. And that's what, that's what soldiers need, right? That's what cops mm-hmm. need. You guys don't have a whole lot of time to train this stuff. And it's so far down your list of priorities. Like, okay, knife. Great, right? But that's, we got to train this, 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 this. got
1: to be great at all these things. And
2: then. Uh, is that accurate?
1: yeah yeah it is. I, I you know one of the things that uh, when you brought up Doug's name and you know uh, I could bring up a bunch of different guys' names, but you know you you mentioned Doug, so we'll we'll call the individual Doug. I'm not even barely referencing Doug. I'm just referencing a a segment of knife fighters that are highly skilled, deeply experienced, and fell in love with the art. Mm-hmm. fell in love with it so much that they kind of forgot that as a soldier within the first five minutes of being handed a knife and not knowing how to use it, they don't need to become an artist. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, it, you know, some knife fighters <clears throat> fall in love with the art so much that now they're, they just love on the art. They, they're they an yeah. artist not That's doing it. the art. Mm. And so they were raised up on the art as a foundation of the martial art the fighting art but as they progress in their sophistication now they're painting with a paintbrush and and it's not that they've disconnected from the martial aspect of it but they're so deeply exploring the artistic expression of it
0: right. that
1: sometimes it becomes a bit of a disconnect from the practical application for you know day one soldier as it were
2: yeah when it, it comes some- to day one soldiers a hundred percent right. But it doesn't mean that there's ever a full disconnect from combative elements. It just becomes a little bit harder to extract. It's buried deeper into um, this sort of specialist mentality, and there's a there's a place for that because there are some people who can observe sophistication, elaboration, and artistry, and go, "Oh, I see, I see the fundamental caveman angle one cut there, and I see a parry. I see that, um, but." It, you know, there is, there is absolutely a difference between um, somebody who is caught in the art and, and somebody who manages
1: it. And, so uh, what, what, the, the reason I brought that up is because what I've seen, at least for me anyway, and guys please, sim- yes, similar to me is this, that if you showed up to teach me something about knife, as an example, I, I want to be taught not just one way. I want to be taught several ways. I want to see your best game. I want to see your A game. I want to see your B game and your C game. And then I want to start from ground zero and build it up from there. I want to see what I can be. And I want to see where it starts from. And as a good instructor, you should be able to do all of that. And, and not even for a second am I suggesting that Doug isn't a good instructor. What I'm using his name is to suggest right. that perhaps you can kind of get lost in it a little bit, whether he is or isn't is immaterial. That's not my point, but you, the deeper you go, the more you can get lost until then one day you find yourself back at day zero with a class of newbies. And yet right. you, you haven't been there for so long that you've forgotten how to do that in a sense. Does that make sense to you?
2: It, it, it makes a ton of sense. And the way I teach, Um, because I do, because I do teach some law enforcement friends and um, (laughs) some guys,
0: I I love that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, when, when I teach them something, I find that, okay, there's that, there's that infantry mentality where they need direction. They need those directives to be clear and then they'll get the job done. And then there's some more of the, like the intrepid side of that mentality. And so I make it objective based. I give them some principles And I give them an objective without giving them the path to get there. And in doing that, that. they discover three to five ways. And then maybe they'll get good at one or two of those ways. So if we're doing this drill, for example, and then I say, okay, your objective out of this drill, out of this predictable sequence, get to the flank and then cut his right shoulder. They're like, why would I need to do that? I'm like, it's not the point. Just get there. And see if you can. And in their discoveries, are like, "Oh, but I can cut his neck on the way." I'm like, yes, you can cut his neck on the way. Mm-hmm. And then they, they they take ownership over that process, and their discoveries are that much more meaningful to them. I just gave them a you know a general
1: direction, a commander's intent.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Uh, what, what's the that? What's that? the, the commander. So the, the commander's command- intent, you, Sean, you can describe you a better memory than I do. Go ahead.
1: Well, commander's intent, just generally referencing the, I, I just need to look at you and say, hey man, by the end of today, own that entire city. Let me know when you <laughs> yeah. own it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, no, no. And, and it's the same with knife fighting straight down to the simple bare bones of, uh, you've got your knife. What okay. I want you to do is get to that right flank and make a cut. Yeah, I'm gonna Simple. write this
2: down on my phone. I love <laughs> commander's intent. Is this a is this a Canada thing?
0: I mean, it seems kind a military of, NATO it's, thing. It's, I think
1: yeah. Well, it's it's not a Canada thing. It's not even a NATO thing. It's just good leaders. Yeah, leading wow. thing.
0: Yeah, it uh, is in it is in our military. Like when we write orders, you write down a commander's intent and you write a two up commander's intent. So you actually have not just what your boss wants you to do but what their boss wants him to do so you have usually you go two levels up but <clears throat> that's in the Smesk nato orders that are standard throughout all like that.
1: sadly it's interpreted as such as part of situation mission execution service and support command and sigs it is just yet one more tick in the box yeah another tick in the box and not really thinking too deeply about it but as a good instructor it's not just a checkbox. It's a, oh, a tool that I can use to draw the best out of someone. Call it commander's intent. Call it what you will. But really, you're just introducing an interrogative to the person and stating, right. how are you going to solve it? Let me know. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I find it it's extremely yeah. effective when you have when you're getting task orders like that, especially when you're talking to skilled people or even unskilled people, but especially skilled people where you can yeah. just say, I want that done and they go, okay. Right. And then it happens <laughs> and it uh, doesn't matter how it happens. It matters that it happens. And we, uh, I you I can see how
2: we can be, it can be in contrast to a strict adherence to the way things have always been done, mm-hmm. right? And you can see why somebody who is a relative newcomer to, you know, knife fighting, um, but who has an analytical and um, sharp mind, who carries with them previous life experiences, you can see why the system would want to just shut that guy down and say, no, do it exactly this way. This is how I was taught. This is how I want you to do it and it's it's kind of a threat to this idea that okay, it takes two decades to get good at this stuff. I'm like, no, it probably takes 4 hours to get good at something. A lifetime of maintenance for sure. But maybe 4 days, maybe 4 weeks for somebody who's dedicated to this thing, to this handful of skill sets to to dominate competition, a fight, a match or whatever the objective is
1: it's it's not that difficult (laughs) it it isn't difficult but you know when it becomes super difficult in the military anyway and and i don't know if you experience this when you're out bouncing around maybe dealing with law enforcement or other uh military uh, agencies that you're playing with um if you've got a bunch of people standing in front of you and they're all day zero and you're about to teach them how to knife fight, as an example, there's always going to be that guy in the group who thinks that he's watched enough John Wick movies or he's watched enough uh, The Devil's Brigade movies or whatever. He's, he just thinks that he now know, he knows how to knife fight. He showed up as the blade and he's, he's never held one in his hand, but he's just <laughs> all kinds of full of questions. And yeah. so I dig on questions, man. I dig on someone challenging, not my authority, but challenging my knowledge base. And, and I'm not even talking about, oh yeah, bring, bring your goofy question. I'm going to crush it. I'm talking about bring your ridiculous question, and I hope I learn from it. And so uh, as, as ridiculous as it can be, what, but what if I, when you're doing this, I do that, and, and I juggle my knives, and... Yeah. Bring them all. Bring all the questions in the world, as re- as ridiculous as it can be, and a confident instructor will be able to nod their head and say, "Oh, it's an interesting question. Let's talk about that." Yeah. How about how How about you try it, and let's see where it goes. Let's all learn from it. But that is uncommon in the military because yeah. you're you you've got timings, you've got a yeah. fixed timings, yeah. and you've got a fixed deliverable to a broad base of people who are from this to this in skill set. And there's, there's as a standard issue instructor, there's not enough time and there's too many questions. And so a confident instructor will nod their head and manage all of that. So you being a confident instructor, talented instructor, experienced instru- instructor, et cetera, but you're a civilian. Yeah you're stepping into those organizations and and how's it going for you? I mean, like, are you being hit with all of the bizarre questions and being respected or are you getting a little bit of pushback or I'm just curious.
2: Well, because um, I, I, I I really started teaching. I taught my first group class of a mixed bag of people uh, yesterday, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but I, I've been
2: training, You know, small groups, private sessions after a few drinks in my garage, all of those things. Um, uh, But I've observed exactly what you've you've mentioned. And typically it's first I'll speak on what what others do that I find really, really effective Um, is that, hey, we'll reserve those questions at the end because we have a limited time. Trust in the process for now. Let's set those questions aside afterwards and that that works um for me because i have a body of work that's been documented from the beginning and it's made available like i have full unedited f- stick fights and you know combat sport knife fights out there available and i show my mistakes and i show my failures and i'm i try to be as authentic and genuine as i can in presenting my philosophies when it comes to teaching knife that it it it's kind of like front loading and addressing all the bullshit to begin with mm-hmm. they're not asking me all the all oh, sorry my bad all the bs to begin with because i um they know they know what they're coming into and when people ask me to train them my first question is are you sure you, you know what you're getting into? you know who i am right like you're this guy you have combat experience you have like Four deployments under your belt. Well, what can I possibly teach you? And I, when I went to Shot Show this year, mm-hmm. um, it was a—I felt redefined because in the past I'd been known as this guy who makes funker tactical videos, who travels the world, and you know, um, represents knowledge from subject matter experts. But this year I was being stopped, like, "Hey, you're GN. You're that knife guy. Mm, um, that's kind of cool." Yeah. I. Felt redefined. And the people that were stopping me weren't, um, you know, your, what I would expect to be, you know, fanboy types. There were people
1: who did some stuff in life. Hang on a and- sec. Were you getting some respect from people that you respect?
2: <laughs> it, was, it was great. And as a civilian, it was like, wow, I never hear from you guys in the comment section, you know? Like these silent professionals don't tell me, they don't put fire emojis on my videos. <laughs> they don't <laughs> they don't tell me I suck. They just observe and they watch. And then when they see me in person, they're like, hey, that thing you did, can you show me some of that nuance? Like, what am I missing here? And then I found little training moments in the middle of SHOT Show, SHOT Show, Vinny Bar, flipping out training knives and showing guys, hey, this is how you create that opening. And It was amazing. It was amazing. It was great validation for me because even though I express my art, and I, um, you know, I love the sophistication and elaboration. I love the sport. I think this is not too deadly to spar. We can find ways to go at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I was getting validation from people who saw through these filters that I've been putting up, and these filters are ah, you know, I'm just. Playing around. This is just art. Don't worry about it. <laughs> They're like, no, I saw that thing. That's not art. I'm like, no, it's art.
0: Yeah. The, the nice thing about it, I think, which is awesome, is you're able to see it in real time, right? It's not just that it's looking back on it or you're it's it's happening right in front of you. How was the uh, that that little wrestle you did with Tim Kennedy that looked uh, that looked pretty oh, impressive? It looked like it was pretty pretty wicked. How did that go down?
2: Um. Well, he uh, he was an ambassador for Five Eleven Tactical. I think he still is. And then he Mm -hmm. sent out this. uh, I believe it was an Instagram post. Ten o'clock tomorrow. Shock knives. Anyone's welcome. Mm. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah, let's go. Uh, I think four people did it. um, But I. I'm pretty sure I was like the only civilian Filipino martial artist who gave it a shot, uh, but yeah,
0: it was you.
1: You gave it a shot, yeah, <laughs> a good
0: shot. It was good, man. It was, yeah. it was good.
2: It was good. And again, there were artificialities in that, right? Like he could have just punched me in the face. He could have slammed me down a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got I got my cuts in, you know. And and this is the reality about the knife. Is Tim Kennedy's an amazing specimen you're right like he knows how to fight but i got my cuts in i died at the end but yeah you did yeah. <laughs> I died decisively yeah. um but there are circumstances if we were to like you know fantasize and imagine that there could be circumstances in that event where we both die right yeah. he doesn't it.
0: he yeah, doesn't you both did right <laughs> so it's... I think the, the I think the really cool, first off, the cool thing, especially with knife fighting, and mm-hmm. I said this a little while ago. We were talking about it uh with Yuri, I think, and I was like, nobody wins a knife fight. Like it just yeah. it doesn't really you're 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 gonna get cut. So you just kinda gotta take it. Or would they would you say that's accurate?
1: So yes, but I don't like to it's not a given. Yeah it's not, yeah. It's not right. mandatory. Right.
2: Like, when people say like they, they say these things like you will get cut. I'm like, no, you might get cut. It's mm. the same thing. And no, but I, I want to give my students the confidence to go for it and not be tentative. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But
1: don't say that you you will get cut. That's very mm. certain, isn't I, it? I re- Yeah, you're right. And I rarely correct it. And here's why I rarely correct it is because I don't want to not just, I'm not saying spoil the opportunity for other instructors to reinforce the idea that, Hey, Johnny on the spot, wake up. You, you particularly Johnny will probably get cut because you keep tripping over your feet, pal. You don't even know how many feet you've got. And so you can deliver that message to an individual. And and as you're delivering it to them, no, that dude is going to get cut. Uh, But I think it's not a bad generalization to throw out there in the sense of, wake up. It ain't tiddlywinks. Mm -hmm. And so once that message is out there, uh, I agree with you. I don't think it's mandatory that anyone needs to get cut, uh, particularly if they're taught enough. I mean, in a day, you can learn enough to not get cut. Yeah, Uh, It's just a casual thought.
0: That's a great point. That is a great point. And I think you you guys are actually right. It is, it is more of a warning. It should be more of a warning. But I've always taken it as just like a... I actually I have very little knife fighting. I took some weapon stuff when I was doing Wushu back in the day. But the uh, I found, like you were saying earlier, was that it was extremely rigid. It was do X, Y, and Z will happen. And I, I never really liked that concept of teaching because who knows anything can happen right like so what is your um what's your big focus I mean outside of this uh this first class what's your what's your focus on teaching this group of people that you have what are you looking at doing in the next little while
2: um man it's it's such a mixed bag of people you know there's one guy in there that's like six five and then there's a guy who can't do a basic X pattern, basic mm-hmm. angle one and two. Um, my focus is going to be attribute development at the very beginning because that's the thing that we can all uh, do together. And there's one drill. There's one drill that, you know, I study this art called pikiti Tersha Kali. Um, there's one drill from that system that I've centralized my entire knife studies on. It's called the Sabayan drill. It's a basic, super simple, like, three-move cycle. It's predictable, it's pattern, but from that base simplicity is infinite potential for exploration, uh, infinite moments and points to give your commander's intent. I use this very simple drill to work on arm drags, takedown defense, punch defense, um, trapping and counter-trapping in close range. And I think uh, that's what i that's what I want. I want my students to really explore this idea of um, integrating a predictable sequence with decision making. because I think that's a great engine because that predictable sequence, that's our meeting point. If it gets too messy, right? If we're trying to do too much, we know that if I do this, you have your sequence that will bring us back into this meeting place, into this landmark where we share a common language and we can take a breath without stopping and then reset and then explore that chaos again. That's, that's, that's what
1: I, that's kind of how I started uh, teaching uh, knife fighting in the military was, uh, you know, initially it started off with the X block. (laughs) Someone is doing it down, it's a down strike. X block doesn't work. Uh, so you know, once once we kind of work through that process of if you're gonna x block my knife attack, that's a problem for you. And so that was my entry point into the demonstration of the old schooly knife defense of uh, you know right out of the 30s and 40s, the karate based. Uh, uh, I'm going to stop your attack and. And so in order for the troops to understand how they needed to learn sensitivity to the moment, which was a, a bizarre concept way back then, is I would get them to start with the backs of their hands together, of course, you know, just a back of the hand to the back of the hand. And, yeah. and, and so my opponent in front of me, we're both back of the hand. And now yeah. we're going to feel that sticky hand We're going to feel that uh, sensitivity to motion. We're going to start feeling a little bit of, there's a weird word for you troops, energy. And I'm not talking about that whole shoot an energy ball at anyone. I'm talking about feeling the other person in front of you and how to interact with the person in the moment. And so trying to remove that wood choppy, wood blocky kind of attack and start for them to feel that organic flow, move more like a snake, move more like a, a fluid being that you are. And, uh, through that sensitivity work of just even five minutes, all yeah. of a sudden it was less wooden and it was more water. And then once they'd felt that I gave them the, uh, sharpies of the day, the, the, the permanent markers and said, okay, let's see where this goes. And, uh, from the moment they, the first guy got a little bit of permanent marker on his hand or on his forearm or on his neck oh, the game changed. And now all of a sudden it wasn't wooden attacks. It was now we're distance timing. Now we're speed. Now we're actually sword fighting. Now we're actually Olympian rapier yeah. fighting. And so yeah. they, they, they went from like attacking like this. Right. Uh, to <laughs> they were they were in the game. Because they didn't like being permanent markered, yeah. and yeah. so in five minutes, it was a matter of wooden attack blocks to feel the sensitivity. Now feel a permanent marker, and things change radically. Absolutely.
0: Have uh, Have you what's your What's your biggest challenge right now? When you've taught you've taught many people along the way, right? And you you've you've dealt with. Okay.
2: I've shared with a lot of people. Yeah,
0: you're, you're. Let me. Yeah, good correction there. You've shared with a lot of people. You've been able to impart a lot of knowledge. What has been the biggest challenge so far? Because you know, knife fighting is not an easy. It's not yeah, a, the it's big not an easy hill to climb.
2: <laughs> well, the, the biggest challenge is dispelling myths and preconceptions mm-hmm. about how to train it. You know, people. Uh, I wrote about the endowment effect. Uh, You guys familiar with that? That we we tend to.
1: No. The
2: endowment effect. Where my
1: head went was totally wrong. So.
2: (laughs) 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 Well, it's this um, it's this emotional, psychological bias that would have individuals, overvalue the things that we already own. Mm -hmm. And. so for example, I'm trying to sell my Honda Civic that I've put so much love and care for and I painted it a certain way and I think it's worth X amount of money and I put it in the open market. They're like, no,
1: it's not worth that much. So this Dude, it's got no tires. I dig the color, <laughs> yeah. but it's got no tires.
2: Yeah, so the, this endowment effect, also the psychology of ownership, they're, they're, they kind of go hand in hand. And then the sunk cost effect. Yeah. Right. The sunk cost effect, you know, you know, I'm not going to break. I'm not going to divorce my wife, even though I'm in a terrible marriage because I've been with her for 10 years. Right. Or I've already paid my feet to this buffet. So I'm going to eat my way until I. Yeah. Um, until I'm bloated. Yeah. And this happens yeah. in martial arts and breaking this for people, getting people to understand that, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. But you have to consider the fact that this thing that you dedicated a lot of time into may not work. Um, this master that you've followed all these years may not be the right master to be following. You ought to be exploring all of these different avenues. And it's been hard because people want to cage you. you know, they see potential in you and they're like, you have to train my system from beginning to end. I'm like ah, no, man, I don't want to do that. Um, so that's been the most difficult part for me. In that, when I show a process, is just hearing from somebody who's like, "No, that doesn't work," and I want to give them the time to explain to them, but it's probably not worth my time to do that. And so I have to very, I have to carefully pick pick my battles because I am quite, um, I'm out there on social media. You know, that's that's part of the matrix of. Yeah. Um, my studies, I show people and then I get peer reviewed and I film my performances and I show it out there and I play it back on my laptop in slow motion and I reverse engineer where I sucked and then I develop drills to address those deficiencies. And, and then there'd be people like, Who are you? Who are you to develop drills? You know, you're not a grandmaster. How can you develop drills? Where do you get the balls and the arrogance to even share this? So that happens, but less and less these days.
1: Yeah, I find uh, I I ripped through your social media. Uh, I had the luxury of knowing who was showing up uh, this morning. That's rare. Uh, (laughs) So when I knew that, I was like, oh, good, knife fighting. Let's do that thing. And so I ripped through your social media. I used to follow you back in the day, like quite kind of when you first came on the scene, as it were. And then you know, as it goes, you just kind of fell off my radar because there's about eight billion people in the world, and yeah. uh, and so it's not because I didn't like your stuff. It's just because you know I got I'm there's yeah. lots of stuff out there that I got. Yeah, I stopped. I stopped
2: creating content. I felt uh, maybe out of that my was mind. it. Yeah. Maybe
1: that was it. Okay, so yeah. so I just ripped through your uh, stuff there, um, your recent stuff, and I see you doing what I do. I see you doing what a lot of guys I know are doing, and that's just like exploring man and and not just i wouldn't go so far as to say putting themselves out there it's just part of the process they're exploring they're letting the process unfold it just so happens that there there's a camera around you're not doing anything unusual you're just doing you and then you know you're getting feedback and uh and i think that's the way it's supposed to be as i see it anyway um and i spent about maybe half an hour uh, scanning your stuff this morning I I think you're doing it right. I think that you're yeah. like you're not too cocky, but you're not too humble. Uh, you I think for me, for a guy like me anyway, and you know I can only speak for myself. You feel like you've got the right balance right now for a guy like me, and I don't I don't know if that's working for everyone else out there. If you know the day oneer is thinking like, who's this chump? Or, or he's thinking, who's this awesome guru? I don't know because I'm not that dude. Uh, I'm not day zero. Uh, but, uh, but where I'm at right now, I I like your vibe. I like what you're putting out. you for me, it's the right balance.
0: Yeah. I uh, I got a question here from the audience, uh, Hundin 8 Do you discuss with your students how hideous knife wounds can be? especially ones from large knives like machetes. But that leads to another question as well on top of that. Um, Do you talk about first aid in general when you're doing, like, what knife cuts are going to look like?
2: Uh, So on the first aid side, I don't. Uh, I address it, and I lead people towards the right people to be able to learn that stuff. I'm not an expert in that stuff, but it is important. Um, And do I discuss knife wounds with students? I do. I do. Um, That is a... That's a trail, man. Like it can get all the way into. Now we're on YouTube and Reddit and watching <laughs> some messed up crap, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it depends, and some people don't need it. They know. They know, right? Um. So
1: yeah. Yeah, I do. Good way to do it. I, do. I, I, I did. I yeah. I I wanted to when I was first teaching it. Uh, what I just did was uh, I went into the mess hall. Grabbed the cook of the day and said, I need a big chunk of meat. And then yeah. I grabbed some uh, a 550 cord, did a wrap around it, got someone to hold it up in midair. All the troops were in front of me. And I said, Welcome to day zero of knife fighting. Pay attention to my demonstration. And I pulled out my Bali song, made my cut, and said, <laughs> All right, pass that meat around. Now look at your wrist. And so that's how I started the demonstration. And everyone was like this, yep. And these were tough yeah. guys, these were guys who were kind of used to violence, we'll say. But, um, it, it was a demonstration that really opened their eyes, and that's how I wanted to start it off. It's not that I wanted to, I wasn't trying to scare anyone, these guys aren't scared by much at that point, yeah. but I just wanted to like, let's keep it real. This it's isn't not- fantasy it- troops, we're not just swinging broomsticks around in the air so let's talk about that for a sec yeah it's
2: super important organic cutting tasks are are critical
1: and especially
2: when it comes to uh so you do it as a as a as a general precursor to study but you do it with a knife that you carry as well so you familiarize yourself with what you're holding but that's super important man and it does some people are like i can't look at that stuff
1: <laughs> yeah you can
0: <laughs> yeah Look at this moon. Do, uh, do you find i so now this is just a personal question because i uh I wonder about this whenever I watch a movie and there's explosives in it, having an explosive background, I just like it's it's hard to sit and watch and go oh my god like that's just like no yeah. no nope, nope, this doesn't happen that doesn't do yeah. when you watch movies with knife work in it do you sit there and do that too and just like oh my god <laughs> like i would kill this guy seven times over
2: you know i do it more with firearms because i think there's more nonsense firearms manipulation in movies <laughs> than there are knives so with knives i just sit back and I, enjoy. I don't go oh he's gripping that wrong no i don't i don't do that with knives okay. but i totally get where you're coming from
0: where what are what are some of the big mistakes that you see firearms wise even or what are, what's some of the big stuff that you see go go wrong in movies TV Oh
2: man, you know like scopes are backwards. Um, you know guys walking around and they're patrolling but they've got their finger <laughs> in the trigger and they're you know yeah okay yeah, you know, yeah okay all that stuff. <laughs>
1: that
2: like, uh, shooting a revolver and but he's like he's shot like thirty rounds already without reloading.
1: I I I got something for you that is uh, relevant to uh, your skill set. And this, this happened to me uh, a few years ago, uh, uh, a jujitsu moment and uh, training rubber knife. And uh, I was explaining to the guy, listen, man, you know, like we're, we're, we're having fun right now. It's super chill, uh, good lighting. Are you warm? Are you comfortable? We're just training. But if if it's a different scenario where I'm going to come at you hard, it's going to look way different. And he said, well, what would it look like? And I said, do you want to see it? And he said, yeah. I said, okay, don't be scared, man. And uh, he said, no, no, I got this. And he was, he was a talented guy. And I went at him hard. I mean, like from zero to 60 in a flash. And uh, he wasn't used to that level of, we'll call it aggression. And uh, And so... Once he kind of got over that, uh, he said, well, you know what I could have done? I said, show me what you could have done. And so, well, I could have caught your hand like this. I said, okay, catch my wrist. Yeah. And he caught my wrist. And, uh, and, and he said, well, you know, I was waiting for you to like drop the knife and then catch it with your other hand. And I was like, hey, bro, here's the thing. It's just not how it works. At least it doesn't work for me because I'm not that good. What I am good at is keeping it real. And so I can explain this to you for real. When you get in a real scrap, all of those fine motor skills, all of that stuff, forget about it. And so for the average person out there that's watched all the John Wick movies like this guy had and had all the John Wick ideas like this guy had, they don't work if you're an average person who is unskilled and is not training you can you can watch all the movies in the world and have ideas but you got to put the ideas into practice and if you want to get to the level where you're flippity flopping knives around in the air to defeat all of the counters that you're getting from a highly aggressive person i hope you've got about 4 to 5000 hours of practical experience in order to be able to pull off those fine motor skills. And even then, it's just a bit dodgy. So it, when, you, when you get into a real scrap, um, all of those fine motor skills kind of bust out, and you've got to rely on the things that you've trained the most, which are the fundamentals mm-hmm. of distance, timing, proximity, how to control the human body when you clinch up, if that's what you're doing. And forget about all of the dreamy, uh, backflips that you're going to backflip out of. It just ain't going to happen. So how it's, do you, how, what's your stance on these kind of things?
2: Uh, first of all, it's shocking to me how otherwise, you know, intelligent people still believe that, you know, they're going to be able to do X, Y, Z under these conditions. It's It, it, it still shocks me, right? Um, spar. Mm-hmm. Spar. Spar. Yeah. Knife sparring. So there's an artificially, there's an artificiality in knife dueling, the knife dueling format, in that that's probably never going to happen where you've got your knife out. Dude who's trying to smash you has his knife out. But what can we work? Uh, Depending upon how good he is and how big he is, you could trigger your your adrenal response. So you could be, holy crap, this is a fight, which happened to me. Um, when I was in this uh, knife tournament and a Muay Thai, I was facing a Muay Thai champion partway through, he decided he was just going to do Muay Thai and he was just wailing, like standing knockouts to me and I had to recover. Um, but it's important when you spar and competitively spar, and I call it sparring because I don't really like knife fighting. We're not actually knife fighting. We're fighting with knives. It's, it's a hang up. Yeah, that's it. fair. It's all good. Yeah. It's knife fighting, um, but you're right, right. You work on, um, timing, distance, and proximity management. Um, and timing, we kind of glance over it, but how important is timing when it insane. comes to it? It's, it's so important. insane. How important is that? You could work on that for a lifetime. And, a and lifetime. So, right? And again, uh, I think we're talking about putting things in context, right? Like we live in Canada. How is your footwork, the stuff that you've worked on forever, how is ground surface condition going to affect that, right? How is layers of fabric going to affect the techniques that you've been working? How might you modify it to be able to circumvent the specific context that we're facing now? Are your hands going to be cold? Can you hold on to that knife? Your fine motor skills are gone because of adrenaline. On top of that, uh, there is this physiological um, craziness happening because it's cold also, right? And is it snowing? Is the wind blowing in your face? So there's so much of this. And if you don't work on the fundamentals and not just work on the fundamentals, but challenge your understanding and your ability to execute the fundamentals under varying conditions, and you begin doing all this flippity flancy stuff, um, you know, you really need to be aware about what your training goals are. Because if your training goal is, you know, I live in Markham, Ontario, it's safe, I'm not going to get in a knife fight. So I can delegate 80% to art and self expression 20% to realism. And if you're honest with that, you can that's awesome. Some people that's cool. Sure. Some people are like, I need 100% realism. And then as instructors, we, we have to be fluid, right? I can teach the art to somebody who doesn't really want to think about what wounds are created with a with a cut. And somebody who's not really concerned about how important close quarters clinch fighting is, hand fighting is with a knife, they don't want that stuff. They just want give me, give me the next pattern to challenge my coordination and express my art and and challenge me mentally. So I I, I can give that.
1: Yeah, you can. And and you know the beautiful part is that if they're in the game, if they're in for more than a, a week, uh, you'll be able to lead them to all of that other stuff anyway, if they don't in fact lead themselves to it. So and by- that's right.
2: Like if you are just a hundred percent realism guy, right? And all we train is that direct applicability stuff, sooner or later you're gonna be like, what else is there? And then I'm gonna show you what else is there, but it's gonna be tied to that direct applicability stuff.
1: Yeah, 100 percent right? right. So all right.
0: I had a uh, I had an instructor back in the day. Like I said, I took uh, some wushu, um, and I was leaving for the army. And he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna teach you how to use a spear." I was like, "Okay, what? Like, what is?" And he's like, "You're gonna have to have a bayonet on the end of your rifle, it. so you should know how to use a spear." And I was like, "Yeah, all right, let's cool. do it." But I was all yeah. up into the art of wushu because it's beautiful and being able to use yeah. the movements. It's it's gorgeous and it feels great. Good for fitness. Good for lots of stuff. But he was. Yeah still concerned all right let's talk applicability because <laughs> it's great to be able to swing a fan with knives on it that's cool but yeah. you should know how to use it and why you're going to use it
1: and where you're going to use it And so it's yeah still- that's true you know of, of any weapon of any system anything that involves <clears throat> weapons it's it's just a paintbrush man Yeah. if you want to be an artist mm-hmm. but it's a weapon if you want to <laughs> use it like a weapon. And so it's for you to decide who you are in the moment and how you want to apply yourself in the moment. If you want to spend the rest of your life being Picasso, rock on, baby. But if you want to turn yourself into a Spartan warrior every day, rock on, baby. But here's the beautiful part. Whatever you start out as, you'll end up being the other thing eventually if you stick around long enough.
2: (laughs) I love that. It's true. It's true um yeah and it and there's there's tears to this you know and it's it's often that that midline guy who has just enough experience but not enough wisdom who are often the most vocal online and just wanting to like puff their chest and but i meet i meet dudes all the time um and they're like oh i used to be like this and you know after vietnam and blah 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 you got into yoga and then I got into, you know, um, calligraphy. And then I did Wing Chun. Um, and it's, it's I, I actually find it quite um, poetic. The, the way you put it, you know, whatever you choose to become, you're going to find yourself becoming the other thing anyway, eventually, if you stick with it long enough. Yeah,
0: I, I think that's an evolutionary process because there are people out there that are like rigidly
1: adhere to the dogma. Right. This oh, is the way I was dude, taught. It took and me about 40 it. years to, of martial arts to kind of be able to spit out a general <laughs> sentence like I just spit out. So,
0: <laughs> This is the beautiful thing about martial arts in general, though, is that you get to experience it all. And if you stay with it and learn different arts and learn different things and, you know, allow yourself to be the student instead of yeah. thinking that you are constantly the master, I think, is the key. And mm-hmm. It is, uh, it's fantastic. But we've been rolling for uh, just over an hour now. First off, Follow man, thanks for being on here. This has been awesome chat. Uh, Love this. You got an sorry. open seat here any day. And we Thank do it you. every day. So You know what?
2: I would like to one day get the opportunity to teach you guys this, one drill, this one drill that I focus the totality of my knife uh, training around it's super simple but just you know having this conversation with you guys i know you'll just it, it, you will make it your own and you'll find it a, as a great catalyst for exploration and spread it so i want that opportunity in the future maybe we can do it on a podcast maybe it's a it's a private thing but i'll i'll teach you this drill
0: and you then... could uh, you should come out to pegasus jump this year and then you could teach it. You could talk. Give it. You could hand it. All hand kinds it to of learnings, All mm. kinds of stuff.
2: Are you guys in this? How far are you two from each other?
0: I'm in Edmonton. Not or just far Edmonton. He, <laughs> he's out in uh, uh, just outside of Fernie. In yeah, uh, Toronto, I'm out in Boston. BC. Yeah, so we we link up every once in a while, but
2: well, um, we'll 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 talk afterwards. But For I'd be sure. willing to try right. out there. Um, Get all the right people lined up, and I'll, I'll I will I will teach what I that know. Be, be amazing. Um,
0: yeah, we'll just spend it Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll chat after this. We got uh, we got awesome. some we I got, I had some good questions here that uh, I didn't want to dive into. This is how everyone ends. Every, every
1: yeah. single one ends like uh, this.
0: I, I wish get, there was more time. I I wish an there. hour, you got... Yeah, we we have we keep it at an hour. That way we, we try. I mean, we, we scrape the surface of everything. We don't actually <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Did we even accomplish anything today? I don't know, but we no, will sure. do it again is usually yeah. how this whole thing ends. You know yeah. what I mean? Right but we right. will.
0: We will do this again. We will talk more. We'll go into depth. I'm gonna save these questions so that uh we have them for later. But okay. Yeah, I can't uh can't thank you enough. This has been awesome. Great chat. We have more coming tomorrow for anybody that's watching. Make sure that you like, subscribe and hit the notification bells so that you can see these every day and uh continue to learn, grow and build here with us on the collective. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Cheer Ciao. <laughs>